The following audio is from Life Journey Church. More information about Life Journey Church is available at www.lifejourneyva.com. Thank you, Chief. Good morning. Missed you guys last week. Had the privilege of speaking to one of the churches that has uh, come alongside Life Journey Church and offered some financial support while we are hopefully uh, getting our feet beneath ourselves. Thank you to everyone who wished me a happy birthday this week. I am now 31. For some of you, that still makes you wonder why in the world are you sitting beneath the preaching ministry of a guy that's 31, 33 in Walt's case. I think Walt's 33. And then for the rest of you, as I've already heard this morning, 31 makes me ridiculously old. And so I'm kind of irrelevant to about 80% of the people here. (laughs) Nonetheless, it was a good birthday. One of the cool parts was actually... uh, being able to, to know what it's like to be Jesus' age. Because he was 30. I mean, Jesus was younger than I am when he began his earthly ministry. Which was just kind of weird for me to think about. Because when I was growing up, Jesus was always this otherworldly guy with the beard and long brown hair like all the paintings. And, and I'm like, man, he, he was my age. You know, he does the things that I do. And maybe his knees pop when he crawls around and tries to sneak up on kids and scare them. Not that, I don't, I don't know if he did that or not. But. All right, quit rabbit trailing. Back on point. Nonetheless, missed you last week. If I've not met you yet, my name is Richard Boyce. I'm one of the other elders here at Life Journey Church. So glad that you're here with us. Thank you again, uh, Fire Chief Preston, as well as your crew for being here and for giving us tips on how to prevent house fires and uh, just overall be safe. So we're going to go ahead and pass our baskets at this point. You should be near a purple one. You can just pass it beside you. If there's no one beside you, you can pass it behind you. I don't know if we've got one in this section or not. Okay, thanks. They're way ahead of the curve. And so right now, everyone's wondering, it's 10 minutes till. Is Richard going to preach long and make us mad, or is he going to preach short and make us happy? Good news is we can't smell fried chicken from here. And we all know that we get to eat here, so I figure either way, all you're going to remember this afternoon is the food and not me. So I'm going to go ahead and preach for about 60 minutes as usual. If you're one of our guests, I'm just messing with you. I like to pick on people. So as many of you know, we did celebrate the one-year anniversary of Life Journey Church last year. But as Walt was alluding to, Life Journey Church didn't begin last September. In fact, it began long before my family and I moved here from Indiana in July of last year. It began long before January of last year when Life Journey began to meet weekly as a church. It even began long before Walt moved here in July of 2011. You could say that Life Journey Church began in the mind of Walt Davis, what, three years ago? Something like that. Or you could take it another step and say that Life Journey Church has eternally existed in the mind of God. So however you want to look at it, it's kind of neat being able to look back years and then kind of like a flip book, look at the little ingredients that have been put into place to where we are now. You know, Walt and April moved here, and they began, they began a home group. And then the home group or the community group got big enough to start meeting in a gathering. And then the gathering spawned Journey Kids. And then Journey Kids and the adult gathering spawned more community groups. And, and so here we are now. It's been a neat ride for the last couple of years. But is this it? Is this us? Have we arrived yet? Is this the pinnacle of where we're going to be physically? I mean, is this our identity as Life Journey Church? Are we going to grow bigger? Is this where we're going to be spiritually? Have we reached that peak of total spiritual maturity where we can't go any further? Or is this but a step 
on the road to get somewhere else. I mean, where is Life Journey Church going to be two years, five years, ten years from now? So let's, let's dream a little bit. Let's think about this. What if Life Journey Church just exploded in size so that we could occupy all 1,600 seats in this room and we've got overflow seat and we have two services and, and everybody knows a lot about the Bible but nobody knows God? I mean, wouldn't that be awesome? Just a whole lot of head knowledge but nobody really knows anything about God himself. We know a whole lot of verses, but we don't know how to apply it. But, but we know it. We've got a whole lot of people that, that'd be great, right? What if, what if Life Journey Church became the biggest church in Crozet? Because Crozet is going to be like 17,000 people in the next 15 years. I mean, if we grow along with that, we could be the biggest church in Crozet. And, and we can get so big that we no longer have to worry about serving the community. Somebody else can take care of that, but we're going to be, we're going to be focused on us because we're so big and, and people are going to be coming to serve us rather than us trying to serve them. Wouldn't that be cool to not even have to worry about getting our hands dirty with the little people, but, but they can show up here and serve us. That'd be cool, right? I mean, dream with me here. What if life journey became one of the most distinguishable, most easily recognized church families because we spent all day hanging out at Mud House or Harris Teeter waiting for people to show up and say, hey, I know you. You go to Life Journey Church. Yes, I do. And even though you don't, I'll give you the honor of saying hi to me. I'll, I'll even let you bag my groceries. I'll let you pour me some coffee. Even though you're not part of us, I know you want to be because Life Journey Church is so awesome and everything, but, but since you're not one of us, I'll just let you serve me because that's why I'm, I'm here. I mean, a church like that would be pretty cool, Right. What if Life Journey got so big and famous we had our own dress code? Shoes and pants and shirts specific for us. So that everywhere we went in Crozet, people could sit back and say, Oh my goodness, I just saw a Life Journey church person. I just wonder, I wonder if they'll give me their autograph. Yeah, that'd be something. Special clothes so that people can recognize us. What if, because we're now so easily recognized and so big and, and so awesomely awesome, what if that meant that we were guaranteed the first place of honor at every restaurant that we went to after church? See, that would be cool because then you wouldn't have to sneak out early so you can get to Cracker Barrel before they get crowded in Waynesboro on Sunday afternoons. I'm just saying, I've seen some of you leave as I get there. All right? Just saying. It means that you wouldn't have to skip the whole teardown thing because you want to make it to Outback before it gets crowded. Everywhere you go after church, people be like, that's a part of life journey. Here, the best seat is yours, man. I mean, wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, we would have people serving us. What if we got so big and so awesomely awesome as a church that we were able to finagle money from even, even poor widows? I mean, how's that for a way of trying to make budget? You know, just, just suck their life savings dry and... And what if, what if we knew how to pray the entire time we're doing it so they didn't even know what we're doing? And so we'd be the biggest church. We'd know all kinds of Scripture. Wouldn't know God, but, but it's okay because we know Scripture. We'd be so big that people would be serving us and giving us the best seats, and, and we could just drain them of all of their money. And how's, I hope that that picture appalls you. I hope that as you've been sitting there listening to that, you've been thinking, dear God, please don't ever let Life Journey Church become like this. But the thing is, it's possible. It's possible. See, all I did, 
All I did was describe for you Jesus' description of the religious elite in his day. The people that were at the top of their class. They were the, the religious of the religious. They followed the law. They taught the law. They copied God's word. I mean, for all intents and purposes, they were the church of Jesus' day. And yet what I described for you is a little bit more detailed of what Jesus describes. We'll get to that in a second. I want you to know that, that Walt and I are going to pour out our lives trying to prevent Life Journey Church from becoming anything like what I just described. But it takes more than just Walt and I. It takes more than two pastors, four pastors, ten pastors. It takes more than the church leadership to ensure that the church doesn't go down that road. And we know what happens. And so the question for us this morning isn't, can a church lose its life? Because we know that it can. I mean, we've seen it happen all around us. The question for us this morning isn't, can the religiously devout lose their way? Because it happens all the time. The question for us this morning isn't, can a church that loves Jesus fail to be a biblical community? Because there are churches all around us that love Jesus, or at least claim to, that have no religious life. They have no community. The question for us this morning that I want to spend just a few minutes trying to answer, and when I say a few minutes, I'm being metaphorical. It's going to take a little bit. The question that I want us to answer this morning is this. What does Life Journey Church need to do now to prevent a future like the one I described? Because it's going to take all of us, right? And if you're a first-time guest, you're like, oh, no, wait a minute. We'll get to that. And so we're going to peek back into the life of Jesus as we continue in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 12. If you've got a copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn there. If you don't own a Bible, we have several on our welcome tables. Take one home with you when you leave this morning. That's our gift to you. If you just forgot yours at home, be sure to bring it back next week. But if you don't have one, we'd love to give you one. But we've been walking through the book of Mark. We've spent the last year since we launched here in September covering the first three years or so, three and a half years of Jesus' ministry. And now we're going to spend the next six months, give or take, covering the Passion Week, or that last week of Jesus' life before he goes to the Roman cross and he's executed as a criminal of the state. We're going to look at this last week leading up to the historic death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, a simple son of a carpenter from Nazareth who was believed to be, claimed to be, and proved to be the Messiah, the Redeemer of God's people. Now, if you recall, we just came off of a sermon series entitled Trapping Jesus, where we saw that even 2,000 years ago, Jesus has all of these religious people, and they're tossing landmines at him. They're causing him to, to perhaps question his identity, the same way that Satan causes God's children to question our identity, our standing before God. We saw that they tossed traps at Jesus uh, geared towards being religious but not knowing God. I mean, these people were very religious, but Jesus said, this is why you're deluded, because you don't know God. You don't even know his scriptures. You spout them, you write them, you copy them. You don't even know them. We saw that Jesus dealt with traps of relying on morality to ensure salvation. Well, if I can just keep the law, if I can just be good enough, then God's going to look at me and say, hey, bro, you're awesomely awesome, and I'm going to save you. It doesn't work like that. We're not saved on the merit of our own goodness. If it were up to that, how many of us would be saved? Nobody. Nobody. And so now, having successfully defeated all of these traps, the score is three to zero. And now as we come off of that series, we see that Jesus 
having taken all of these questions, is able to respond with just one question of his own. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this event, each of them from their own perspective. And so when we go through Mark's gospel, we don't see the prefatory question. We don't see the the sentence that really sets this whole thing up. But Matthew tells us that Jesus asked the Pharisees this simple question. Jesus says, what do you think about the Christ, the Messiah, the coming Redeemer of Israel? What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Or who is his ancestry? Where, where is he coming from? I mean, this is just a simple question, right? Jesus isn't identifying himself as the Messiah, not in this conversation. He's not trying to get this group to say that, that well, Jesus, you're the Messiah. He's, just, he's simply asking them a question about the lineage of this Messiah that was supposedly coming one day. Well, who do you think his, his ancestors are? Where does he come from? And so they say to him, the son of David. And my guess is they're a little leery at this point because Jesus is asking a question. They just totally barraged him with with this series of bogus questions. And so they answer the son of David. Simple Old Testament theology. See, God had promised to David to preserve his throne, to ensure that the kingdom would be forever ruled by a descendant of David. And so the Pharisees are simply saying the Messiah is the son of David. He's coming from the house and lineage of David. And so here's the thing. Jesus has just found common ground with these Pharisees. They're all on the same page now. And so now as we continue to look into Mark chapter 12, now that we've set the context for this encounter that we're going to look at, we need to keep in mind here what's going on. They've answered the question right, but in the same breath they have revealed their ignorance. And so Mark tells us in verse 35, And as Jesus taught in the temple... He said, how can the scribes say that the Christ, which means anointed one Messiah, is the son of David? David himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Then Jesus continues, David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? So let me, dis- let me dissect this for a bit. Because Jesus isn't asking, well, how can the scribes say that the Messiah is the son of David? Because they were wrong. He was asking this because they were right. But let's go a little further. See, here's the problem. Jesus quoted Psalm chapter 110, verse 1, which says this. David's writing this. According to Jesus, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, David says, the Lord said to my Lord, or Yahweh said to Adonai, to the promised one, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Which means that as David is penning this psalm through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus is even having this conversation, David is acknowledging the existence on a divine plane of this promised one, of this Messiah. And so David, when he's writing this, is acknowledging that that somehow this Messiah already exists as his Lord. And so David sees Yahweh and he sees Adonai talking to each other. And so the question that Jesus is throwing out is simply this. Gentlemen, have you got to run? Be safe. Pleasure having you here. We'll bring some chicken by the firehouse if we leave you some. All right, we'll look for you. And so here's the brilliance in this question. 
Jesus gives these Pharisees three options. All right, option one. Option one, they can acknowledge that even though the Messiah that they're looking for is a human with divine origin, which totally contradicts everything they believed about the Messiah. So they can agree that Jesus has a point, that David is saying, yes, the Messiah, though he's going to come for me, is at the same time my Lord. They can agree that there is a supernatural divine aspect to the Messiah. Or they can say, well, uh, David was wrong. David wasn't right through the Holy Spirit. And they're not going to do that because if they discredit David, well, how is that going to make them look? Or they have a third option. They can refuse to answer the question because they know that they've been had. They've been brought to this point where they can either see it the way that Jesus is presenting it or they can basically reject their own religiosity. And they're not going to do either one of those. So Matthew tells us that no one was able to answer him a word. Nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. So question time is over. (laughs) Jesus, four, religious crowd, zero. But Jesus isn't done there. Mark tells us that the great crowd that was gathered heard him gladly. And I think the reason they did that is because for years and years and years, these Pharisees, these scribes, the Sadducees, the Herodians, the Sanhedrin, all of these religious guys had spent years playing the system, playing the people. And here was Jesus, the simple son of a carpenter, with just two or three questions able to put them in their place and reveal to the entire crowd, these guys don't even care about what Scripture says about the Messiah. They would rather not say anything than have to acquiesce to the, to the truth behind Jesus' statement that the Messiah isn't merely human. The Messiah has a divine origin. And so they just watch question after question after question. Jesus defends them all and says, hey, here's a question. Do you, do you even know who the Messiah is? And they're stuck. And so they shut up. But Jesus doesn't finish there. Listen to him describe these scribes. Now remember, these people are the ones that taught Scripture. I mean, you you don't advance any more in the system of religion that was so prevalent in this day than the position of the scribes. You had a question about Scripture, you go to the scribe. You want to go to temple, you're taught by scribes. You want to go to the synagogue, scribes there. I mean, they're the ones that have been entrusted to preserving, copying, teaching and memorizing God's Word. And this is what Jesus says. He says, beware of the scribes. Beware of the scribes. Look out. Watch out for them. He could have stopped there, but he doesn't. And as we look at this list of invectives, I want us as a church to ask ourselves, what if we are on the receiving end of this? Here's what Jesus said. Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes. There's that uniform. And like greetings in the marketplaces. Harris Teeter. They have the best seats in the synagogues. And the places of honor at feasts. Cracker Barrel. Who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Jesus said they will receive the greater condemnation. They're going to experience divine punishment on a level that no one else will. You think that it doesn't happen today? See, 2,000 years ago, Jesus is revealing that the people most acclaimed for their prestige, their place in the religious pecking order, they're the ones to watch out for. 
And you might think, okay, well, that might have been the problem 2,000 years ago, but I tell you right now, you turn your TV on to a few certain stations, you're going to find people who are at the top of the game, religiously speaking, that perfectly fit this description. I want so bad right now to start spewing out some names, but it would probably just irritate some people. But I watched a video clip of a famous preacher on TBN who said, I'm going to try to quote her. She said, some of you little old lady, you've got that little grocery money, that little money you've been saving away. Assure the blessing of God on your family by giving it to God. And as you do, claim this promise, God, I'm giving this money for the blessings of my family. All right, she's telling these these, these widows living on Social Security, I know you've got that little bit of grocery money. Give it to me, and that will ensure that God blesses you. I mean, is that not scarily close to what Jesus said? They devour widows' houses for money while making long prayers and just make it all seem like an act of worship? And so we're going to go back again to the question that I asked when I started, is what do we need to do now? What does Life Journey Church need to do? For that matter, what does any church all right, if you're here this morning and you're not a part of Life Journey Church because you're visiting, these are questions that you can answer within your own context. No one's off the hook. But what do we need to do to ensure that Life Journey Church does not become like this group of empty, dead, evil, sinful, damned religious people? Because I'm telling you, all over this country, there are scores of churches just like that. So how do we avoid it? Well, I wish that I could tell you that there was a verse in Scripture that laid out this perfect little outline, but if, if it's there, I've not found it. But there are three principles that I believe we can put into place that are going to help us as a church five years, ten years, a hundred years down the road be known as a church that is busy proclaiming the fame of God, spreading His fame to the neighbors of the nations through the intentional multiplication of disciples, groups, and churches. But, but how do we get there? How do we become that? Well, the first thing that we need this morning, and I'm going to try to go through these kind of quickly. The first thing that we need, the, the very first thing, is we need a total commitment to God. I know that sounds elementary, but think about it. How effective is a church going to be that's comprised of people that don't even know who God is? And wasn't that the fundamental problem with the scribes and Pharisees? They knew a lot of theology, they knew a lot of religion. They went to Sunday school. They put money in the plate. They went to the missions conferences Monday through Wednesday. They went to vacation Bible school. They went to seminary. And Jesus said, watch out for these guys because they're going to eat you up like wolves. And so while those things may be good, while they have their place in the kingdom, if we're doing all of that but we don't know the God who has placed us here to do it, then we're wasting our time, right? And I know that some of you this morning are still on the fence. Maybe it's your first time here. Maybe you've been here for months. But I know that there are some of you right now that have not yet come to that place where you're ready to say, okay, God, I'm yours. I mean, perhaps you need a reminder of why it is that we're here. Perhaps you need a reminder of why it is that we're spending this next six months looking at the last week of Jesus' life. Perhaps you need a reminder of why it is that Jesus is going to be executed by the Roman government as a common criminal. And the reason for that is because we can't be good enough to please God. We can't. In fact, when our motivation for doing good things is to please God so that he looks at us and says, hey, you're doing pretty good. I think I want your company eternally. 
those acts of righteousness that we try to do, Isaiah says they're filthy rags. They disgust God. And so if our motivation is to please God, then even the good things that we do disgust God because we can never do enough good to outweigh the bad. Even if there's just one thing we've ever done that's bad and we spend 50 years doing good, that one outweighs them all. James says if you're guilty of one sin, you're as guilty as if you've broken them all. Paul said in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned. None of us are immune. I'm not immune. You're not immune. We're all sitting here as a group of people that have rebelled against God. But then God sent Jesus. We've spent the last year looking at three years of his life. He turned 30 and all of a sudden there's the anointing of the Holy Spirit at his baptism. He spends three years, some three and a half years, hanging out with people like us. Healing, saving, loving, ministering to. The entire time living that life of total perfection that's foreign to any of us. Facing the same temptations, the same social pressures, the, the, same, the same trappings of life that we succumb to. Jesus said, no, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it and be completely obedient. Why? Because Jesus had to substitute himself for us if he was going to save us. And so while he's on that cross, he is receiving the full wrath of God. Why? Because of God's love for you, for his name, for his character. Jesus didn't die some arbitrary death. He died a substitutionary death. And that death guaranteed the forgiveness of anyone and everyone who simply comes to that place where they say, okay, I'm not good enough. I've got to trust Christ because I, I can't do it. And when he was raised three days later, his resurrection guarantees not just the new spiritual life, but eternal life, new life that begins when we trust Christ as Savior. And so for some of you, the first step, the only step that you need to be focused on this morning is total commitment to God. Will you trust him with your soul? And my prayer is that none of us leave here this morning without being in that place. But then it goes a little deeper. Not only do we need total commitment to God, but second thing, I would say we need total commitment to Life Journey Church. If you want to be a part of a church that 10 years, 50 years, 100 years later is famous for loving people, for ministering to the community, for reaching out and embracing people not like us so that we can spread the fame of God worldwide, you're not going to get there without a total commitment to Life Journey Church. And without hopping on a soapbox and, and, and getting a little too critical, let me just say this. And I say this with love. Uh, I feel rotten this morning, so if my tone's not loving, we'll blame it on my cold. Showing up to a Sunday gathering once or twice a month and having nothing else to do with the body of Christ is a foreign concept in Scripture. We love that you're here. If you come here once every three months, I love that you're here. But if that's all you're doing, you're jipping yourself. Church life is so much deeper than that. The church was designed by God to be this, this autonomous because there are churches everywhere. There is an overarching universal church, but then there are local gatherings of God's people. It's designed to be this organic organism that's comprised of many members, each of us shaped differently, each of us serving in the way that we've been built by God, to meet the common need in fellowship with each other, to do evangelism with each other, to do discipleship with each other, to spread the fame of God with each other. 
Church life is so much deeper than what we do in our gathering. And so maybe it's time for you sitting here this morning. Maybe it's time for you to make that commitment to Life Journey Church. Or if you're a visitor to whatever church it is that you're flirting with back home. I mean, I would love to say that Life Journey is the church for everyone. But geographically, that's not going to work. I mean, we're not, the only, we're not the only church out there. But are you committed to a church? Are you investing your time, your resources, your prayers, your love? Are you plugged into a church? The church is not something you do. It's something that you are. Church isn't a place you go to. It's something that you're a part of. If you want Life Journey Church to be a church that's not like the one I described, it's going to take from every single one of us commitment to Life Journey Church. If you want your church back home to be known years down the road for being a church that faithfully loved Jesus and served His people, then it's going to take commitment to that church. But then thirdly, and we're wrapping things up, there's this. For the preservation of Life Journey Church to be a church that makes a global impact as well as a local impact, yes, we need commitment to God. Yes, we need commitment to Life Journey Church. But thirdly, I think that we need commitment to each other. Right? Life Journey Church ought to be a place where as people, we know others and we are known by others. That's why we have community groups. So that we can gather in living rooms and hang out in small groups and, and, and put aside the baggage. Nobody brings their church face to community group. People show up at community group and we're tired. Sometimes we're defeated. We're busted up and broken. And, and if there's a week that goes by in my community group where at least somebody's not crying at some point, then that's kind of odd because life is hard. Life is hard. Our students have it hard in schools. No one's got a, a perfect job except for me and Walt. <laughs> no one's got a perfect husband except for April. Uh, but... <laughs> You can thank me for that one later. If you're not part of a community group, and I understand. Look, we have four groups. We're working on a fifth one. We only meet three nights during the week. I understand that for some of you that want to be part of a community group, you can't because of scheduling. I understand that. For For some of you that want to be here more Sundays, but you can't because of work, I understand that too. All right, work has its place in the kingdom. But I would also say that if the, the nights that we do offer don't fit for your schedule, let us know what your schedule is. We'll start another group. I mean, that's not the problem. But we want to create places of, of connectivity, of worship. Because as an individual, I can't know all of you. Walt can't know all of you. We have these community groups so that you can find about a dozen other people and do life together with, to pray for them, to be prayed for, to serve, to be served. I would say that our community groups are the lifeblood of Life Journey Church. For me, it's where transformation happens. Twice a month when I'm preaching, I'm kind of focused on the message. I'm worried about, okay, did everything get set up? Do we have this in place and this in place? Sunday morning for me isn't about transformation. I wish that it was. Maybe it should be. For me, I look forward to Wednesday night so that I can sit into this group of individuals that know me by name, I know them by name, we know each other. And so maybe you're committed to God. Maybe Life Journey Church is your place of service. It's where you do worship. It's where you minister in the way that God's built you. I would encourage you to take it a step further. It doesn't even have to be community groups. 
We have several individuals in this room that meet off-site each week for a time of discipleship. We have one-on-one discipleship. We have three-on-one. We have small groups here and there. We kind of keep it off the radar because it's not going to simply be a program that we offer. We want it to be an organic means of two individuals or a small group together growing in their faith and knowledge of Christ. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe it's just simply focusing on people that you know and, and being more intentional in the way that you pray for them. I mean, we can love each other better. We'll never get to the point where we love each other enough. And so for some of you, maybe that's where your next level of commitment needs to be is is to people, to God's people. So as our band forward, as our band forward comes this morning, as our band comes forward this morning, here's here's kind of big picture where I want to land this thing. We've talked about committing to God. We've talked about committing to a church. We've talked about committing to God's people. But what I don't want us to do this morning is to assume that these three things are just three items on a checklist. Okay, I've done that one. I've done that one. See, here's the way it works. Each one of these steps really depends on the one before it, doesn't it? See, you can't commit to love each other if you're not in a place where you can know each other. And so before you can work on step number three, you've kind of got to be part of step number two. How do you better care for the individuals in your church if you're not connected to a church? Before you can know individuals and connect into a church, you need to know God, right? And so don't think of it as three items on a checklist. Think of it as, as, just go back to that onion analogy. All right, you've got the gospel, the good news that God forgives all who repent and believe. That's that first layer. And as you dive further into that, you have this wonderful community called Life Journey Church. And as you connect further into that, you have these individuals. And then as you connect with these individuals and you get into intentional discipleship, you can go even further. So that eventually we're all as individuals working collectively towards spreading the fame of God to our neighbors and the nations. And so I don't know where you are this morning. I would love to say that we're all kind of on that third level where we're trying to figure out, okay, well, how do I love people better? How do I serve the individuals around me better? So I'd love for that to be where all of us are. But I know that some of us, we're we're Christ followers, but we're just kind of, we're not really committed to Life Journey Church You've not really bought into the vision and the passion that the leadership has here for not spreading the name of Life Journey Church, but spreading God's fame. And so maybe for you this week, it's time to really sit down and think about, okay, well, what is, what's holding me back? Why is it that I cannot embrace this thing? And if it's something that you want to talk about, I'd love to talk with you. Walt would love to talk with you. We are extremely accessible. But most importantly, If you're sitting here this morning and you know that you've not made that commitment to God, if you know that you've not yet come to that place where you're willing to say, okay, my way is not working, enough of me. I am willing to trust Jesus with my soul. It's that simple. It's that simple. Don't leave here this morning without having placed your faith in Christ. Walt and I are going to be standing here in the front. If you have questions about what it means to be a Christ follower, questions about anything, we'd love to speak with you. And so I think that that this is one of those manipulative calls of action where everybody, everybody gets hit with something. The question, though, is in this time of response, these few minutes that we have of contemplation and worship towards God, how are you going to respond? Are you going to say, no, I like where I'm at and leave? 
Because if every single one of us said, I like where I'm at, I don't want any more, I can guarantee you we're not going to be here in five years. Because God has called us organically as a church to pursue God, to love each other. So all of us need to act in whatever way it is that God is laying on your heart. So Father, as we close this morning, Lord, we thank you for your word. Father, what a sobering reminder that even the religious of the religious can be clueless. The ones that are most known for their prestige in the religious community are the ones that Jesus said, watch out for. So, Father, I pray that you would protect us from becoming a church like that. Father, it's going to take the, the cooperation of everyone that's in here. And, Lord, for some of us, as I said, we, we don't even need to worry about relating to each other if things aren't right between us and yourself. So, Father, I pray that you would send your spirit among us to, to convict the lost, to point them to the cross, to let that realization dawn in their mind that, that you are love, that forgiveness is freely offered, that the only thing that's preventing us from knowing you is ourselves. So, Father, I pray that you would draw us to your Son. Lord, I pray for those here that, that know your son, that are looking for a faith family, that are looking for a, a life, a vibrant church life. That they would make the commitment today that this is the place for them. That this is the place where they would come know people and be known, where they would serve, where they would sacrificially give of themselves, as we all are, to fulfill this vision of spreading your fame. Father, there are many of us here this morning that are part of Life Journey that know your son, that, that are still kind of holding back from intimately knowing others, praying for others, loving others. Father, I pray for myself that you would, that you would show me how it is that I can more faithfully serve your people, that I can better connect with my community group, that I can better serve behind the scenes where, where all I care about is loving people the way that you love them. Father, there is a way in which every one of us in here this morning can act. If you'd give us the courage, the motivation, the prompting. Father, I pray that you would continue to use Life Journey Church for years and years to come. Not to make a name for ourselves. Not to be known as anything other than a church that is bent on making you famous. Because you're the only one that's worthy of that honor. And you're the only reason any of us should ever work towards that end. So we thank you for what you've begun here, Lord. We pray that you'll continue it. It's in Christ's name we pray this morning. Thank you for listening to this message from Life Journey Church. Feel free to distribute this podcast, but please do not charge for it or alter it in any way. For more information about Life Journey Church, visit us at www.lifejourneyva.com.